Hello! Welcome to another episode of Don't Fuck With The Original. I'm your co- I'm your host, Casper. I'm your host, Casper. <laughs> I am your host, Casper. That was perfect. And I am your other, I almost said I'm your other host. Uh, I'm your other host, Becky Grimlin. Here to bring you all things spooky on, uh, hey, it's about, okay. Here to bring you all things spooky on Wednesdays because... Wednesdays are for podcast. I don't think we've fucked up a, an intro like that bad in a while. <laughs> oh, we're keeping it. You guys can all get a nice hey, laugh out of the blooper. That's a nice I'm like Boom boom. Yep, it's staying. It's it's staying. It's a good it's a good one. Anyway, so guys, what's up? It's another podcast day, um, true crime episode, and um, it's another true crime episode all about Eileen Wernos. Um, I don't know if I'm, I'm sure you guys know who that is. She's she's one of the more popular ones. Really, she was known as America's first serial killer. That was a female. <clears throat> um. But if you guys didn't get a chance to watch that Life and Death of a Serial Killer on Amazon Prime, I highly, we both highly recommend that. That's probably the best Eileen Wernos documentary out there you're going to get. Um, the guy that did it was, like, interviewing her a lot. He interviewed her quite a bit. And it's just, she's she's almost different every single time he interviews her. <clears throat> if you guys know anything about her, you know she's not really mentally stable, was not really mentally stable. I don't know why I keep talking about her in the present tense. Um, but yeah, so we are going to be covering some Eileen Wernos for you tonight. Uh, we're going to be using Wikipedia as usual because Wikipedia is a blessing from God. Um, <clears throat> they always have the best stuff to talk about. And then of course at the end we will talk more about the pop culture stuff and thanks. Yeah, mostly, um, most people probably are more familiar with Eileen from the 2003 film Monster, uh, that Charlize Theron started in as, uh, Eileen. Um, she won the Academy Award that year for Best Actress, so I had known about the story prior, but watched the movie not long after it came out, mostly because of the Academy Award fanfare. Um, Charlize played that role amazingly well, um... Like, so creepy to the point where I saw pictures of her from the film and thought it was Eileen. <laughs> like, not even joking. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, she fucking nailed it. And in in what I thought a uh, very respectable way. Because, um, <clears throat> you know, as you guys will see as we go along in this podcast, Eileen had... A, uh, you know, she just, she had one of these lives that, you know, some people are just born into a world where through no fault of their own, they just aren't given a fair deal in life. And, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty awful because, you know, you, you kind of, you have these, when you read about stories like these, um, it's kind of, uh, natural to have these man like coulda woulda shoulda ideas in your head like you 
wish something like you know you or you wish something you wish that no one would have to go through something like this um so that's that that's kind of the sad part of this it's really the saddest part of this whole story it's like you know uh we're, we're not going to discount the victims in any way shape or form um but uh we're going to look at this the understand. exact same way we looked at Dahmer. Like, yeah. we, we both very clearly made it known that we felt sorry for him. We don't condone what he did, just like we don't condone what Eileen did, but there's a part of you that knows that it wasn't, it was just circumstance that took them to the evil place that it took them. I don't even want to use the word evil. Took him, took them to the place of darkness that they that they went to because they were just so mentally ill and mentally unstable and no one would help them. And it just kept getting worse. I mean, like that's any mental illness. If you don't get help, it just continues to get worse and worse and worse. And you don't even know what's going on by the time it's progressed so far. Right. <clears throat> and that's what happens with, uh, certain mental illnesses, especially in women. Yeah. Um, they're so unrecognized and go undiagnosed for so long that by the time they are realized, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's almost like they, they just, it's like they're not given a chance on, well, a lot of it's stigmatized, you know, she definitely was stigmatized. I think that, you know, a lot of her case, and I think that was something that, uh, a lot of people should, I think the most interesting thing about the documentary, you know, we'll get into all of it, but I did want to say, I think the most interesting thing that Nick Broomfield, who did both amazing documentaries, but brought up more importantly was the fact that, uh, you know, the system really failed her. And then when it came to uh, her testimony, I th I think that's why in the end she kind of broke down and said like nope I'm just heartless and cold and and I don't I I don't think that was very true I think she really I think in at least one of the circumstances she definitely was raped but I think that she I don't think she ever meant to really <clears throat> kill anybody I think she just wanted help and I think that maybe she thought you know finally getting caught she'd get help but the system really failed her. And then on levels where like the cops were, that's why I kind of have now mixed emotions about the movie, because you realize that people were trying to profit off this woman's life. They were trying to still sell the story before she even got a chance at a fair trial. And so, she even said that like in, in the documentary, she was like, you know, people trying to sell my story for money and make a profit off of it. And it, it gave me a little bit of mixed emotions about the movie too, because I was like, she clearly knows it's happening. Like she knows what's, that it's what's going on. And she doesn't seem to like that. Of course, who would, I mean, like if you're, you're, dirty laundry is getting hung for everyone to see. You really want that? And for her to be like, you know, they're just right. making money off of me and using, still just using her. Like, this poor woman was used until she was fucking dry. Like, it's it's so sad. Yeah, I think, and I think that's how she <clears throat> felt. I think that's how she felt with, 
with any type of, you know, people talking about book deals and movie deals and yeah, it just seems from the start. Well, I think when she was first arrested and people, this the murders got so sensationalized in the media, I think it was very easy for people to, the media made it easy for people to want to capitalize on her story. Right. <clears throat> and not try to help her, just make money off of her, which is, you know, it's unfortunate. It's a sad, sad circumstance. Um. I didn't know if you, did you want to go ahead and start off? Yeah, sure. I do apologize, everyone. I have terrible phlegm this evening, and you're all probably rolling your eyes and thinking, (laughs) you do every week. Why is this new? (laughs) (laughs) Well, once again, as we explain to everybody, uh, living in Ohio, you know, this is, these are probably one of the worst times, this is the worst time of year we can ever have when we're trying to get spring into summer, because. It's the Rona. It's ridiculous. It's the rain. It's It's the the Rona. Sun, it's the no, it's definitely not the Rona. <laughs> definitely not that. I don't even want to put that out in the put that out in the air. No, it's allergies. Uh, my allergies fuck me up every single year. That's nothing new. <clears throat> okay. So Eileen Carol Lee Wernos Prep. Is it Praley? It, yeah, it's pronounced Praley. Okay, that's what I thought. Uh, she was born Eileen Carol Pittman. On February 29th, 1956, uh, she was an American serial killer and prostitute who murdered seven men in Florida from 1989 to 1990. She shot them at point-blank range. She claimed that her victims had either raped or attempted to rape her while she was servicing them, and all of the homicides that were committed were self-defense. She was sentenced to death for six of the murders and was executed by lethal injection on October 9th, 2002. Excuse me. Um, she also went by Sandra Kretsch, Susan Lynn Blahovec, Lee Blahovec, Cammie Marsh Green, and Lori Christine Grody. Grody? I'm sorry. <laughs> Just reminded me, like, you guys remember, like, the early 2000s, how everyone was like, oh, Grody, that was, like, your MySpace word. God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I was like, MySpace. I, I barely remember those days. Um, so she had six counts of first degree murder. That was between January 27th, 92, April 1992, June 1992, and January 1993. And she had six death sentences, which I remember specifically her saying, how many times can they put me to death? Which in reality, I'm like, why? what does that actually mean? Well, like, why do you have six death sentences? You're going to die six times? <clears throat> yeah, they, you get, it's for, I know to most people logistically it wouldn't make sense, but each, every time you're convicted on a certain count, and then you, like, you're charged with a certain count, and then you're convicted with a certain count, and then your penalty for that count, you have to get for each one. Okay, gotcha. So it's yeah, not like it's not as a whole. That's why. Yeah. So since each count, <clears throat> she was tried for. She was uh, charged with seven murders, convicted of six. So she was given six death sentences for each <clears throat> six. So it's basically they sort of do it as to make an example of her. So you took six lives. Gotcha. We're gonna give you six death sentences for each of the six lives that you. 
that you took away. So it's um, almost, I mean, in a way, yes, it's a little ridiculous because it's just basically them just trying to make, try, trying to make an example. Right. <clears throat> God damn. <clears throat> so she was born in Rochester, Michigan. Again, it was February 29th, 1956. Her Finnish American mother, Diane Wernos, was 14 years old when she married Eileen's English-American father, who was 16, Leo Dale Pittman, on June 3rd, 1954. Eileen's older brother, Keith, was born on March 14th, 1955. After less than two years of marriage and two months before Eileen was born, Diane filed for divorce. Wernos never met her father as he was incarcerated at the time of her birth. Leo was diagnosed with schizophrenia and later convinced... Convinced convicted of sex crimes against children and eventually died by suicide <clears throat> he hung in prison on january 30th 1969 in january 1960 when wernos was almost four years old diane abandoned her children leaving them with their maternal grandparents Lori and britta wernos who legally adopted keith and eileen on march 18 1960 by the age of 11 wernos began engaging in sexual activities in school in exchange for cigarettes drugs and food she had also engaged in sexual activities with her brother. Morno said that her alcoholic grandfather had sexually assaulted and beaten her when he, she was a child. Before beating her, he would force her to strip out of her clothes. In 1970, at age 14, she became pregnant, having been raped by an accomplice of her grandfather. God, even reading that makes my stomach hurt. Well, um, it, what was even worse is... In oh God, BB! I'm sorry. The cat just scared me <laughs> so bad. Oh, of course, at that moment. Oh um, Jesus! Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Always the worst timing ever. Um, her friend uh, Don Botkins, who is uh, in the documentary "Eileen Death: Life and Death of a Serial Killer," uh, mentioned witnessing when she was a child uh, walking up to their door and seeing it through the door, she actually could see it through the doorway. Her grandfather could see Lee because Eileen went by Lee could see <clears throat> Lee uh, stripped completely naked, bent over a chair and her grandfather beating her with a belt. I mean, just beating every inch of her body with the belt. Her, her friend witnessed this. You know, and what are what you as a child seeing something like that? Like you know that's wrong, but what do you you know you can't do anything about it. Also, it happening to you, just no one. You just you just feel like no one cares about you at that point. I mean, your brother's a piece of shit. Your dad's a piece of shit. Your mom, vamoose. Your grandpa's a piece of shit. You just live around a bunch of pieces of shit. <clears throat> and it's really fucking sad. <clears throat> yeah, she had a god awful existence. Yeah, just from from the start, she really, really, really did. The system just gave up, you know. And this is also around a time in the early seventies. Things were so different. Oh then. yeah. It's not like it's not like things weren't. It's not like things like this weren't going <clears throat> on. You know, she wasn't the only one. I mean, of course, it wasn't as common, but it's it's. I'm sure she's not the only one that was going through abuse like oh, yeah, this no. at this time. Not. It's just that you know it 
you didn't report it. You didn't say anything. And then if you did report it, they, they really didn't know, cops didn't really know how to handle cases like that. You know, you're, if your kid's being bad, you beat your kid. I mean, that was kind of like commonplace and almost taught really. So beating a child, so you leave Mark, you know, it's, it kind of, I don't think that was really adopted until the eighties where it was like, okay, like what, where, where do you draw the line between giving your kid a swift kick on, you know, a swift smack on <clears throat> wrong to beating the fuck out of your kid with a belt when they're stark naked? Like one of these things is not like the other one is clearly abuse. I feel like there's an in-between so. somewhere. <laughs> like, what? I said, I feel like there's an in-between somewhere. <laughs> uh, yeah. So definitely. I'm sure there were other kids just like me being abused, but I mean, I was, I'll, I'll give myself an example. I was spanked, you know, growing oh, up, yeah, I, I was, I was spanked, spanked, but I wasn't naked. And I never felt like my parents were hurting me. Oh, no. Like, they always made sure, and to this day, I'm thankful that they did. Honest to God, I am, because, first of all, I was a very unruly child, <laughs> if you can believe such things. Um, and <clears throat> I would do the worst shit in the fucking world, and then my mom would be like, stop doing that. And she's like, I'd turn around, and you were doing something. She's like, you were either doing the same thing or something just as bad. So, I got spanked sometimes three or four times a day. Like, my mom was like, I didn't know if you would ever stop being a terror, basically. And, um, but I never once and, and, and never, and never my parents spanked me. I never thought that they were hurting me. They would always, right after they would do it, they would sit and talk to me and be like, you know why we did that? Like, they beat it into my head. Hey, we did this because we love you. Like, it was, it was in my head that way, and I look at it now like it was, because they beat, they, I don't want to say they beat respect into me, because that sounds bad, but they did. Like, they, they spanked me to teach me respect. I'm still very bullheaded, and I'm still very stubborn, but damn it, do I have respect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really think, I, I would think people are... I, I would hope people listening to this would be smart enough. I don't, I don't think we really have to give you uh, an explanation. Bottom line is, if you don't know the difference between abusing a child and disciplining a child, then I don't I don't really know what to tell you. We don't really need to give anybody an explanation. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, though, like, I, I am a, a perfect example because I did get spanked. Yeah, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't like to get into that because everybody has their ways of, of raising their kids. So I don't really like to get into that a lot. I just say, you know, there's, there's healthy ways of disciplining your children. Uh, however people choose to do that. Uh, and, and it's, it, it, it needs to be done. Kids do have to be disciplined, but beating a, beating a child. No. You know when you're beating a child. You you know when that line is crossed, and and this line was definitely crossed with her. And it leaves a lasting effect. You know things that you do to children leave a lasting effect in life. And clearly, uh, Eileen was a victim of that. She carried that with her the, the rest of her whole life. This uh, sense of neglect and, and, uh, not being loved and un unwanted, you know, this, this started from a very young age with her. So she carried that throughout her entire life. So this, 
you know, that does stick with you. Stuff that you go through as a kid stick with sticks with you, no matter what people want to say. That what you put children through, uh, they carry that. It 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 molds who they become as people for for sure. Well, I mean, that's been proven time after time Pos- again. That's positive why positive and negative. Man. That's why yeah, when it comes to serial killers, their oh, history yeah. is always very similar. Yes. Yes, man. Nature versus nurture. You got to look at it all the way around because you, you take some of these and even Eileen's story, you know, yeah, Eileen was a woman, but I look at Eileen's story and man, this, this, this is, this is giving me a lot of, you know, Charlie Manson vibes, you know, his mom was a, his mom was young, 14, 15 year old when she had him, uh, didn't know who his father was. And she was, she ended up becoming a young prostitute, and, you know, left, Charlie when with God knows whoever and, and bars when he was a baby and then he was left with an uncle who beat the shit out of him. Then he was sent to a boy's home where he was or a, a boy's home where he was raped and yeah, so you, you start seeing these patterns when you read about certain serial killers and you see these patterns of neglect in their uh childhood. You know, I'm not saying, you know, everybody can go through that and maybe not come out being a killer, but you kind of have to go, well, Hey, you know, if, if, if not for this, would they have still ended up being this type of person? Who knows? Who knows? You have, you, you, you gotta wonder though, you know, not everybody that's comes why, out of a situation like this, a healthy person. That's why they do a lot of, um, scientific experiments on serial killer brains because, yeah. They want to look at the development of their brain as opposed to development of, I don't want to use the word normal, but normal, like someone who hasn't, you know, killed or, you know, is like a normal person's kind of brain. Um, uh, ab- yeah. Someone who has a normal brain versus abnormalities. And usually right. those are to areas of the, of the frontal cortex. Which is where you develop your compassion and your, exactly. your love. Your senses of empathy, love. And it's uh, so fascinating, like, really looking into this stuff. Because it's like, their frontal lobes did not develop correctly. Well, and I think also discussing this, too, brings about that argument of uh, evil versus, you know... Mentally, mentally ill, ill. Yeah. yeah are are people just inherently just evil hor- yeah I'm, yes yes <laughs> i very much believe there are just flat out evil horrible demonic presences on this earth ted bundy is that, one of them you know was but, one of but, them right right but some people like eileen like, absolutely not. This is not an evil person. This is someone who was born out of a terrible circumstance who uh, had a mental illness. And also, the other thing I wanted to bring up, too, you know, we talk about her father. Uh, schizophrenia is one of those uh, mental disorders that can be passed down. Oh, yeah, them. absolutely. So it can. Her father, who uh, was diagnosed with you know, schizophrenia and very well passed on to Lee with, you know, as far as mental illnesses and then textbook engaging in sexual activity at a young age. I mean, that's, 
that's a cry for love. That's a cry for attention. That's a cry for, for help, you know, and it's also something that unfortunately some young girls, once they, if they have victims of sexual assault tend to believe that that's all their body is worth. They, they develop this mentality that, oh, well, if this is all, you know, meant, especially if a woman, I'm, I'm speaking more from a woman who's been sexually assaulted by a man at a young age, you, you, you start to get, you start to develop this, this, this way of thinking that this is all your body is worth. So you think that you're almost taking back power in well, if this is all they want my body for, well, then let me get something out of it. I'll, I'll let them touch me or have sex with me or see whatever. But, uh, and they, and they think they're getting something off on me. Well, I'm getting their money and I'm getting their cigarette. Them, you know, and I think that's the way that was even portrayed in monster a tiny bit. And I yeah. think that's the way Lee felt. I think she, she started to look, I think at first, she started to look at it as she thought that this was love because nobody loved her. And then it turned into, well, it turned into currency is what it turned into. Yeah. Yeah. Men only want my body for this. So fuck you. Let me get something out of it. That that's kind of like she said, she was in the robbing biz, not the killing biz. She, she robbed and then killed a witness. That's, that's how she described it. Yeah. You know, she, she wasn't wanting to kill, but they're, they were witnessing, obviously. They could see her, like, what she was doing. So she killed them because she didn't want to witness. Right. So. Right. But yeah, the whole, the whole thing is just, just terrible. Just absolutely terrible. Yeah, sorry, I wanted to... No, 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 like, bring, bring mental illness, anytime we can talk about mental illness, I want to talk about mental illness, because it's something that's very important to the both of us. It's stigmatized, and it really is something prevalent in this story, especially because, um, you know, with women, it's so ignored, it's Mm -hmm. so ignored, especially... And you're supposed to be, like, especially back in the 70s and 80s, you're supposed to be this, and you're supposed to be that, and... It's a lot different this day and age than it was back then. If you're not a housewife, you're a whore. Pretty much. So that was, yeah, I mean, that was pretty much the the way the world looked at you. And if you came out of a situation like Eileen did, then you, you know, you really were looked looked down on. And it was none of her fault either. That's the the sad part. that is the worst part of all of this. Is that none of this, of I mean, obviously her killing people, we're not saying that's not her fault. Obviously that's her fault. But th- what brought her to that spot? A lot of that was not her fault. Right. So, so, so she did actually give birth to a baby boy uh, at a home for unwed mothers on March 23rd, 1971. And the child was placed for adoption. A few months after he was born, she dropped out of school, and about the same time that her grandmother died of liver failure. Uh, When she was 15, her grandfather threw her out of the house, and she began supporting herself as a prostitute and living in the woods near her old home. Like, come on. You're really going to throw out a 15-year-old? 
with nothing. This poor thing has to prostitute to have money to live. Much less she's living in the fucking woods. I know in the in the uh, documentary they said she had built a fort as for for her shelter out in the woods, and she lived there during how many how many years, Becky? Did they say she had lived out there? Well, when do you remember when she was fifteen? She didn't. You know, it goes on to say that she was arrested in Colorado when she was eighteen. So right. it was at least. It was at least two or three years that she was living out in the woods in that in the shed that she had built. And Jesus you know, this Christ, is in, this, is in, this is in Michigan, too, guys. These are that's some so cold I winters. I don't know what what part of the world anybody else is is listening to out there from us, but let me tell you something. There's some if you live in America, and if you've ever been to Michigan or the uh, Upper Peninsula or any of the New England states during the winter, that's a whole nother type of fucking cold. <laughs> yeah, that, that shit's cold. That's a cold that you just, you don't even know. <laughs> like, that's, and it's, and it fucking snows. It's, it snows there in May. Like, it'll be fucking, it'll be cold there. Like, so, yeah, you're talking fucking some cold-ass winters. This poor child is out in the fucking woods in a shed building fires. Like, yeah, this is this is crazy. That's so just like I can't like I I know this story, but every time it just it doesn't sink in my head. It's just how fucking terrible this poor person's life was. So, you know, like we mentioned by May twenty is that cool if I go ahead and take over from here just this part of it yeah i'm sorry i was drinking (laughs) no no no, you're totally fine um but like we mentioned that by the time she was 18 this was may 27 1974 she ended up in colorado she was actually arrested in jefferson county colorado for a dui uh which is driving under the influence uh disorderly conduct and for firing a 22 caliber pistol from a moving vehicle she was later charged with failure to appear uh, which means she failed to appear in court. In 1976, so she would have been 20 by by now, Warnos hitchhiked to Florida, where she met 69-year-old Yacht Club president Louis Graps Fell. They married quickly. The announcement of their nuptials was printed in the local newspaper's society pages. However, Warnos continually involved herself in confrontations at their local bar and went to jail briefly for assault. She also hit Fell with his own cane, bleeding him to gain a restraining order against her within weeks of the marriage. She returned to Michigan, where on July 14, 1976, she was arrested in Antrim County and charged with assault and disturbing the peace for throwing a cue ball at a bartender's head. Most of these times she was probably drunk, too. Oh, yeah, I would, um, I would imagine so. On July 17th, her brother Keith died of esoph- esophageal cancer, and Warnos received $10,000 from his life insurance. Warnos and Fell annulled their marriage on July 21st after only nine weeks. In August of 1976, Warnos was given a $105 fine for drunk driving. She used the money she inherited from her brother to pay the fine and spent the rest within two months buying luxuries, including a new car, which she wrecked shortly afterward. 
crimes. On May 20th, 1981, Warnos was arrested in Edgewater, Florida for the armed robbery of a convenience store where she stole $35 and two packs of cigarettes. She was sentenced to prison on May 4th, 1982 and released on June 30th, 1983. On May 1st, 1984, Warnos was arrested for attempting to pass forged checks at a bank in Key West. On November 30th, 85, she was named as a suspect in the theft of a revolver and ammunition in Pasco County. On January 4th, 1986, Warnos was arrested in Miami and charged with car theft, resisting arrest, and obstruction of justice for providing ID bearing her aunt's name. Miami police officers found a 38 caliber revolver and a box of ammunition in a stolen car. On June 2nd, 86, Volusia County Deputy Sheriffs detained Warnos for questioning after a male companion accused her of pulling a gun in his car and demanding $200. Warnos was found to be carrying spare ammunition and police discovered a 22 pistol under the passenger seat she had occupied. Around this time, Warnos met Tyria Moore, a hotel maid at a Daytona Beach lesbian bar. They moved in together and Warnos supported them with her earnings as a prostitute. On July 4, 87, Daytona Beach police detained Warnos and Moore at a bar for questioning regarding an incident in which they were accused of assault and battery with a beer bottle. On March 12, 1988, Warnos accused a Daytona Beach bus driver of assault. She claimed that he pushed her off the bus following a confrontation. Moore was listed as a witness to the incident. Up until her execution, Warnos claimed to still be in love with Moore. Yeah, yeah that, I think she had had it with men. <laughs> Well, you know, and that's the thing with a lot of these is that in a lot of these arrests, especially during this time when they had just chalked her up as being a prostitute, nobody cared. And I, you know, and I don't blame her, you know, that that's a very, (laughs) what she was going through. And I'm, I'm sure there were a number of times with with jobs or johns or whatever you want to call it where she probably was raped or she probably had really horrible things done to her and it was hard you know to listen to a lot of what happened on the stand where you know men would try you know you you'd say do one thing and you know you're alone with them you don't know what they're capable of and if they pull a knife or a gun on you you know you're going to you're going to do whatever they tell you to do because you don't want to get killed and right that's uh, that I'm sure that's a lot of a reason why she carried a gun with her, you know, I mean, it makes sense was protection, I'm sure. And the real unfortunate circumstance with meeting Tyria is I, I don't think Tyria loved her nearly as much as Eileen loved Tyria. I think Ty, uh, thought she loved her and I think that maybe it was just a new relationship to her and I think the thrill of kind of running I think I think that was part of what the movie got right where I think Tyria actually used Eileen just like everybody else did and I don't think exactly Eileen recognized it because she just loved her so much and thought for the first time somebody isn't just looking at me as a whole or as a thing or 
I'm, I'm, I'm not, nobody's kicking me, you know, this is the first time somebody's not abandoning me or not, you know, so I think she just gave and gave and gave and gave and gave to keep Tyria around, not realizing that she's actually being taken advantage of. I don't think she realized at any point until Tyria turned against her that Ty was taking advantage of her. And I think that's just because she loved her so much. I don't think she I mean, wanted that, to look at it that way. That part in the movie, uh, not not in the movie, in, in real life, when they showed um, Ty on the stand yeah, and they were playing that recording of her on the phone basically turning her over and Eileen saying I'm not going to let anything happen to you I'll I'll tell them it was me I'll, I'll make sure that you're safe and like I'm sorry that fucking broke me I'm like yeah, that, was- that that was and she was sitting there and she was crying like as it was happening because she's like I was fucking betrayed yet fucking again and here we are like the one person I thought loved me and I said I would take the, basically I would, I would tell them it was on me. I mean, it was all her, but she could have gotten in trouble for the fact that she knew what was going on and didn't say anything about it. I guess you can be charged with, um, what's the word I want? Well, you're an accessory. Accessory. Yeah. You you're, can be charged with an accessory. an accessory after. I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter. It, you know, she was money and cars and if Ty was in one of these cars or using that money then in the eyes of the law (laughs) you're just as culpable as as Eileen whether whether you were there when the murder was committed whether you engaged in the murder yourself or or anything if you were riding in the car or or whatever then yeah you're an accessory yeah, I mean, it doesn't, not a lot of people, it's how a lot of young, dumb people get caught with stupid shit, because they're like, <laughs> yep. oh, well, I didn't do anything, well, it doesn't fucking matter, you know? Oh, uh, well, you're with the one matter. that's doing it, and you know what's happening, so. You were there, you were fucking there. <laughs> you were fucking there, and you, you didn't have any business being there, doesn't fucking matter if you did anything or not, you're gonna yep. get charged just like everybody else does, so yeah, yeah, that's, I think, uh. You know what, though? I, I think Ty, Ty just, I'm telling you, man, she just sold her. All I kept thinking, all I kept thinking to myself after watching those docu- watching that documentary was uh, she just sold her down the fucking river. Yep. She's like, no, I got a good family. Fuck this. I don't want to have anything to do with this. Because really, they didn't. The story she was telling Eileen over the phone was bullshit. They, they had the phone bugged. I think yeah. they were listening <clears throat> in. And this, this bullshit story that Ty was, oh, they're coming after me. They're going to, they didn't have any, they didn't have any physical evidence to tie Tyria to the murder. So at the most, which she could have gotten as an accessory, but even then that could have been dismissed in court. They wanted her to get Eileen to say that she did it. Yep. And that, that was, that was cold on all fronts. Just, I mean, obviously, yes, she needed to go to prison for what she did. I don't think she needed to be executed, but I think 
you know, that, that goes on matter of opinion. She needed mental help and that's what she needed. She needed mental help is what she needed. And everyone. Well, and especially in the, in the first, and this is, you know, we'll get into the, but I'm glad this one is mentioned. We're going to get into the rundown of the murder victim. So Warno's murdered seven men within a period of 12 months. It was from 1989 to 1990. So with the first victim, Richard Charles Mallory, uh, who was 51 when he was murdered uh, by Eileen on November 30th of 1989, I very much believed Eileen's story that he brutally raped her. I think that everything, you know, because that was a really awful scene in the movie, but that is pretty much without being too graphic about word for word, the way Eileen described it in the trial of what he did to her. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail right now on the podcast, but if you guys have seen the movie, then all I'm going to say is rubbing alcohol. That's, I don't need to say any more after that, but I'm glad they didn't make it as brutal as she talked about it either. They was pretty awful. I mean, the, the scene in the movie is terrible. It but, is, but it's it's but very dulled down was, considering what she said exactly, on the stand. Yeah, it was it was awful in the movie, but if, if people can believe it or not, it was pretty damn watered down to what she described on the stand. And I 100% believed her. I, I, I believed her. You know, there were, uh, you know, it's not mentioned here, but um, so he was an electronic store owner in Clearwater, Florida. Uh, Warnos, he was Warnos's first victim. He himself was a convicted rapist who she claimed to have killed in self-defense. Two days later, a Volusia County deputy sheriff found Mallory's abandoned vehicle. On December 13th, his body was found several miles away in a wooded area. He had been shot several times. Two bullets to the left lung were found to have been the cause of death. It was on this murder that Warnos was initially condemned. I uh, firmly believe this was a rape. Um, there was evidence found to suggest it was a rape. Uh, the rubbing alcohol was found. The rope was found. Um, he was a convicted rapist, similar MO with things involved with what happened with Eileen. So, uh, I think that it became, and I think this is what the movie portrayed very well was that I think this was just the final fucking rape that she just couldn't take anymore. Yeah. And she said, I'm fucking done and I'm gonna kill this motherfucker. And that's exactly what she did. And I think unfortunately every other one after that, she just kept seeing as this guy or as her grandfather or as her brother or as every other man that has raped her. You just keep seeing that face over and over and over and over. And, uh, you know, it was like she did in the, you know, because we, none of us were there personally when these things happened to her, but the movie did a very good job of giving an idea of what it was like between her and the interactions with these men that I'm very well sure she hyped it up like, oh yeah, I bet you're, bet you like this. I bet, cause she just, in her mind, she was so tired of being a victim and she just viewed every single one of these guys like, well, if you're, if you're that, if you're going to pull up a prostitute, that you must just be, you must be a sick rapist, just like all these other, all these other guys. 
you know, even though we know uh, one of the men, obviously, I think, you know, I, I think out of all of them, Richard definitely deserved it. I believe that one was self-defense. I think he was just a god-awful piece of shit. Uh, I definitely don't think the rest of them were. Um, but I think it was just an unfortunate circumstance because in her mind, all these men represented every horrible thing that had happened to her, even though they personally did not deserve to die at all. Besides, as far as I'm concerned, Richard Mallard. He's the only one that I feel like that was that was purely self-defense. I think that guy was just a fucking piece of garbage. Um, next, it was uh, David Andrew Spears, age 47. He was a construction worker in Winter Garden. On June 1st, 1990, his naked body was found along U.S. Route 19 in Florida in Citrus County. He had been shot six times. Charles Edmund Karskandon, age 40, May 31st, 1990. He was a part-time rodeo worker. On June 6, 1990, his body was found in Pasco County. He had been shot nine times with a 20 caliber weapon. The body had been wrapped in an electric blanket and was badly decomposed when found. Witnesses saw Warnos in possession of Carscadden's Kars- Kars- car, and Warnos had also pawned a gun identified as belonging to Scar. Kars- this fucking guy's name. Carscadden. Carscadden. <laughs> like, I am so sorry, no disrespect, but I'm like, this last name, I'm just not fucking good. You're like, I just, uh, I just can't. I can't, dude. <laughs> like, I, I'm sorry. I, I literally can't with your name. Um, Peter Abraham Sims, age 65, retired merchant seaman who devoted much of his time to Christian outreach ministry. In June 1990, Sims left Jupiter, Florida for Arkansas. On July 4th, 1990, his car was found in Orange Springs, Florida. Moore and Wernos were seen abandoning the car, and Wernos' palm print was found on the interior door handle. His body was never found. Troy Eugene Burris, age 50, was a sausage salesman from Ocala on July 31st, 1990. Hold, hold up. I know, hold I was up. Like, was that actually a thing? Because that's totally when awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry, a like, sausage salesman? sausage back in the back in the fucking early '90s. That's amazing. Um, I'm I'm gonna need to look into this career. Excuse Wait, me. Why is that not a thing anymore? <laughs> I want to sell sausages. God damn it! Can I also okay. sell bacon? I'm like I'm just know, right? <laughs> selling like, some breakfast foods. I totally want to do this. I was I like, like wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. A sausage salesman. <laughs> Like that's a thing. I would have been like, "Let me buy some of your sausages, your sausages." I never had an idea that that was a thing. I didn't either. I'm into it, but I want to do it. I want to sell sausages. We should should bring it back. We Um, should make our own. Don't fuck with the original sausages. Sausages, right? (laughs) I love it. So, I think this was the one. This might have been the one in the movie that was mentioned when she found the badge. Uh, Charles Richard Dick Humphreys, age 56, uh, was killed on September 11th, 1990. Retired USR, uh, retired U.S. Air Force Major, former state child abuse investigator, and former chief of police. Uh, his body was found the next day on September 12th in Marion County. He was fully clothed and was shot six times in the head and torso. His car was found in Suwannee County. Walter Gino Antonio, age 62, was a trucker, security guard, and police reservist. On November 19, 1990, Antonio's nearly naked body was found near a remote lodge 
or remote logging room rather, in Dixie County. He had been shot four times. Five days later, his car was found in Broward County. So, so she was actually, I'll let you get into uh, when she was actually apprehended. So that last murder was... Okay, I'm sorry. I was just reading. I was reading to myself. I was like, stopped. Um, so on July 4th, 1990, Wernos and Moore abandoned Seam's car after they involved. They were involved in an accident. This was in the movie. Yeah, um, this was, that was in the movie. Yeah. Witnesses who had seen the woman driving the victim's cars provided police with their names and descriptions, resulting in a media campaign to locate them. Police also found some of the victim's belongings in pawn shops and retrieved fingerprints matching those found in the victim's cars. Wernos had had a criminal record in Florida, and her fingerprints were on file. January 9th, 1991, Wernos was arrested on an outstanding warrant at the Last Resort, a biker bar in Volusia County. Police located Moore the next day in Scranton, Pennsylvania. She agreed to elicit a, a confession from Wernos in exchange for immunity from prosecution. Moore returned with the police to Florida, where she was put up in a hotel. Under police guidance, she made numerous telephone calls to Wernos, pleading for help and clearing her name. Three days later, on January 16, 1991, Wernos confessed to the murders. She claimed the men had tried to rape her, and she killed them in self-defense. A year later, on January 14, 1992, Wernos went to trial for the murder of Mallory. Although previous convictions are normally inadmissible in criminal trials, under Florida's Williams rule, the prosecution was allowed to introduce evidence related to other crimes to show a pattern of illegal activity. On January 27, 1992, Wernos was convicted of Mallory's murder with the help from Moore's testimony. At her sentencing, psychiatrists for the defense testified that Wernos was mentally unstable, and had been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. Four days later, she was sentenced to death. See, I have a problem with that because I understand she killed people and she should not have killed people. And I understand the death sentence is something that goes to people who kill people. But I feel like she should have been put in a hospital, like a mental hospital, because clearly she was not in her right mind. And I don't know. I know I'm probably going to get yelled at by a lot of people for what I just said, but I just I just feel like she should have been put in a mental hospital to probably for like life or something because like she was clearly not okay. Well, I I think it's just I think it's really fucking unfair to completely disregard the fact that this man had a past criminal record of rape. This was a convicted rapist. So let's not in any way, shape, or form look at the violence in his background, but let's bring up Eileen's past arrest record and just smear her character as much as we possibly can all, you know, all over this case. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like this this first case, it's almost like she didn't stand a fucking chance. I mean, not only did she, and again, if people would have seen the documentary, she had just a shit for brains fucking TV lawyer. She, uh, it just, the, the, the jury, she just, she never, she just never stood a chance. The way that the case was presented, um, 
not only was she not defended correctly or, or and and done in a very you know ill ill-fitted way but the prosecution was just out to get her in every way every way they could completely smear her name and not try to give not even consider what she had been through in her life and what this guy did to her as being a reason of why i think i think in at least this trial she she should have been acquitted or it should have at least been taken into consideration the crimes that mallory had committed previously as a convicted rapist and looked into the case of self-defense and i don't think that that was done at all i think this case was botched big time and also brought up later that there was clearly uh, police uh, negligence involved. You know, you found out in the documentary that Nick Broomfield mentioned that there were cops that were uh, dismissed from the case because they were being paid off to sell the story to Hollywood. And Tyria did the exact same thing. Right after she gave testimony, she was, she was already ready to talk to people about making a movie. Yep. You know, that's, pretty fucking gross it's pretty there's just like no other way around that that's that's pretty disgusting disgusting dishonor on you dishonor on (laughs) (laughs) for real (laughs) seriously so march 31st 92 warnos pleaded no contest to the murders of humphreys burress and spears saying she wanted to get right with god in her statement to the court she said in part i wanted to confess to you that richard mallory did violently rape me as i've told you but these others did not they only began to start to on may 15th 92 warnos was given three more death sentences in june 92 warnos pleaded guilty to the murder of carskadden in 19 whoa in november 1992 she received her fifth death death sentence. The defense made efforts during the trial to introduce evidence that Mallory had been tried for intent to commit rape in Maryland, that he had been committed to a maximum security correctional facility that provided remediation to sexual offenders. Um, Records contained from that institution reflected that from 1958 to 1962, Mallory was committed for treatment and observation resulting from a criminal charge of assault with intent to rape and received an overall eight years of treatment from the facility. In 1961, it was observed that Mr. Mallory, that he possessed strong sociopathic trends. The judge refused to allow this to be admitted in court. Of course he did, as evidence and denied Warno's request for retrial. In February 1993, Warno's pleaded guilty to the murder of Antonio and was sentenced to death again. No charges were brought against her for the murder of Seams, as his body was never found. In all, she received six death sentences. Warnos told several inconsistent stories about the killing. She claimed initially that all seven men raped her while she was working as a prostitute, but later recanted the claim of self-defense, citing robbery and a desire to leave no witnesses as the reason for murder. Um, which I do believe, um, except for the first all, one. Except, uh, except the first one, yeah. Yeah, I think, I just think she, and you could hear it in her voice, towards the end yeah. when she was ready to die. I think she gave up trying to claim even the Mallory rate because once she realized that that piece of shit judge wasn't even going to consider looking at evidence that clearly this guy was a sociopath, clearly he was a dangerous, dangerous, very dangerous sexual offender that was out there. And uh, I, I think I think she just gave up on trying. I think she just realized, like, nobody's going to believe me. 
they don't care. So, fine. Exactly. I, I killed these guys. I'm a murderer. I didn't leave any witnesses, whatever. Like, and I, and I think that she was just ready to die. And, um, which I do is think just, part of it too, was she was wanting to get right with God. I do yeah. Think that was, I think, I think that she thought, you know, at least, at least if I could save my soul, because nobody else will believe me or help me here. Um, so Nick Broomfield, he was the filmmaker during an interview with him. She shot, she thought the cameras were off and told him in, that it was in fact self-defense, but that she could not stand being on death row where she had been for 10 years at that point and wanted to die. Assessed using the psychopathy checklist. Excuse me. Warno scored a 32 out of 40. The checklist evaluates individuals on a 20-item list of antisocial and interpersonal behaviors, with each item being scored at 0, 1, or 2, and thus a maximum score of 40. Depending on location and research perspective, scores above 25 or 30 are consistent with a diagnosis of psychopathy. Wernos was incarcerated at the Florida Department of Corrections, Broward Correctional Institution, death row for women, then transferred to the Florida State Prison for execution. Her appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court was denied in 1996 in a 2001, there's a period, 1996, in a 2001 position. I didn't position, do that either. I was like, just, I just kept going and I was like, wait, punctuation matters. In a 2001 petition to the Florida Supreme Court, she stated her intention to dismiss her legal counsel and terminate all pending appeals. I killed those men, she wrote, robbed them as cold as ice, and I'd do it again too. There's no chance in keeping me alive or anything, because I'd kill again. I have hate crawling through my system. I am so sick of hearing the she's crazy stuff. I've been evaluated so many times. I'm competent, sane, and I'm trying to tell the truth. I'm one who seriously hates human life and would kill again. While her attorneys argued that she was not mentally competent to make such a request, Wernos insisted that she knew that she was what she was doing, and a court-appointed panel of psychiatrists agreed. In 2002, Wernos began accusing prison matrons of tainting her food with dirt, saliva, and urine. She said she had overheard conversations among prison personnel trying to get me so pushed over the brink by them I'd wind up committing suicide before the execution and wishing to rape me before the execution. She also complained of strip searches, tight handcuffing and door kicking, frequent window checks, low water pressure, mildew on her mattress, and catcalling, and distaste and a pure hatred towards me. Wernos threatened to boycott showers and food trays when certain officers were on duty. In the meantime, my stomach's growling away and I'm taking showers through the sink of my cell. Her attorney stated that Miss Wernos really just wants to have proper treatment, humane treatment, until the day she's executed. She believes what she's written. In the weeks before her execution, Wernos gave a series of interviews to Broomfield. She depicts being taken away to meet God and Jesus and the angels and whatever is beyond the beyond. In her final interview, she once again charged that her mind was tortured and at BCI and her head crushed by sonic pressure. Food poisonings and other abuses worsened, she said, each time she complained with the goal of making her appear insane or to drive her insane. She also turned on her interview... She turned on her interviewer. You sabotaged my ass. Society and the cops in the system. A raped woman got executed and was used for her books and movies and shit. Her final on-camera words were, Thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. Don Botkins, a childhood friend of Warno's, later told Broomfield that her verbal abuse was directed at society and that the media in general, not at him specifically. Yeah, I remember her... Her actually saying to him she wanted to apologize. That wasn't to him. Yeah, it was it to society as a whole. Directed at Nick, yeah. 
Uh, her execution took place on October 9th, 2002. She died at 9.47 a.m. Eastern. She declined her last meal, which could have been anything under $20, and opt for a cough of, cup of coffee instead. Listen. <laughs> I'm into that. Right. <laughs> like, you know what? No. Just get me some coffee. <laughs> I'm, I'm going. I'm, I've accepted it. I'm just, I just need some caffeine in my life. That's just what I need. Yeah, and like I said, I think it, like I had said, I think at that point, I think the reason why she had just given up on life or any appeals is because she was so tired of the way that she had been portrayed. She was so tired in the way that people were looking at her. And also, if, you know, she was just really sick of the way that she was being treated. Um, you know, I read a very insightful book uh, called, uh, I think it was Life or Death is the actual title of it, but it's by um, Damien Eccles, who was one of the three convicted in the uh, West Memphis Three Murders, um, which will definitely be a uh, podcast episode at some point. Um, Life After Death, I'm sorry, is what it's called. And uh, it goes into a lot of really in-depth detail um, in regards to what Damien went through on death row. And it just, how anybody survives that <laughs> is, is, is out and out a miracle out and out a miracle. I mean, I'm, I'm talking, you know, you're locked in a, you know, it, to this day, well, just for instance, um, two things. Uh, he is on constant uh, vitamin regimens because of the malnutrition that he suffered in the time that he was on death row. And uh, he has to wear sunglasses for the rest of his life because natural light because he saw no natural light for almost 10 years. So I, you know, no, nobody like us could ever think in a scope like that. So if that, if that was even half of what Eileen was going through, Oh my God, kill me. Like, <laughs> right. I'm ready. Give me my Just, coffee and my cigarette. Yeah, and let me get the yeah, out of here. Yeah. You know? Give me a like, coffee and a cigarette and I'm, I'm good. Uh, that's, that's all I need. Yeah. But, um, so her, yeah, it was just, no, go, oh, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. No, you're, you're totally fine. <laughs> it's harder when we can't see each other. I know. No, I'm fine. like, so, so cues are hard when you can't see. <laughs> 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 so her last words were, yes, I would just like to say I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus. June 6th, like the movie, big mother ship and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. She was the 10th woman in the United States and the second in Florida to be executed since the 1976 United States Supreme Court decision restoring capital capital punishment. If I can read. Um, after this, this was a really poignant uh, scene. Are you talking about the uh, the documentary right now? Yeah. Because, oh my God, that was, wow. Um, yeah. And this was something I remembered of watching it before, after uh, Eileen had passed away. So uh, Eileen's body was cremated, and as requested, uh, her childhood friend Don Botkin spread her ashes beneath a tree um, where they grew up in uh, their native Michigan. 
And um, I was a really big fan of this album when I was younger, back in the 90s. I absolutely loved Natalie Merchant. And um, I love this song, Carnival. And, and the album Tiger Lily was really beautiful and one that Eileen was a really big fan of. So um, they actually... Nick Broomfield was able to get permission from Natalie Merchant herself to play the song at the end credits of the documentary. Um, and then just quickly, uh, Natalie said that her reasoning why is when director Nick Broomfield sent a working edit of the film, I was so disturbed by the subject matter that I couldn't even watch it. Eileen led a tortured, torturing life that is beyond my worst nightmares. It wasn't until I was told that Eileen spent many hours listening to my album Tiger Lily while on death row and requested Carnival be played at her funeral that I gave permission for the use of the song. It's odd to think of the places my music can go once it leaves my hands. If it gave her some solace, I have to be grateful. Um, yeah, I've always loved that song. And I think the so there's a part, you know, the song just means, I think there's a part in the beginning of the song that I think probably means a lot to Lee and her life. And um, I'll just read a couple lines and lyrics. It says, I've walked these streets, a virtual stage, it seemed to me, makeup on their faces, actors took their places next to me. I've walked these streets in a carnival of sights to see all the cheap thrill seekers, vendors, and dealers, they crowded around me. Have I been blind? Have I been lost inside myself and my own mind? hypnotized, mesmerized by what my eyes have seen. Um, yeah, I think that speaks a lot to what, for whatever reason that Natalie meant to write that song and her moment of it, those words meant something so different to Eileen and her life. And um, yeah, I think that was, I think that's something very profound to say as a songwriter, you know, I don't, you don't, you don't know where your music goes once it leaves your hands. You could have a totally different vision of what that song meant to you in that moment, but somebody else who's a fan could listen to it and it could strike a moment in their lives that just could completely change them forever. And clearly this song was one of those for Eileen. And I thought that was a really beautiful moment. And I was really happy that Natalie allowed that to be used in the documentary. Um, I did want to mention that, uh, so Nick Broomfield famously came to uh, mind for me very early on by, um, he has, uh, he's been mostly a uh, documentary filmmaker. Um, and uh, one of his very early works was a uh, documentary about uh, the comedic actress Lily Tomlin. Um, and then, of course, he did the one for um, Eileen. Uh, he also, more notably, <laughs> directed a very controversial film that uh, I became familiar with uh, early on, being the big Nirvana fan I am, called Kurt and Courtney. Uh, this was selected for the 1998 Sundance Film Festival until Courtney Love threatened to sue Nick um, for the screening because the movie heavily heavily suggests that uh, Courtney Love was involved with Kurt Cobain's death, that it was not a suicide, it was a murder, and that even possibly Courtney uh, hired somebody to kill Kurt. Um, 
Whoa. It's pretty controversial. It was on Netflix for a very long time. Let me tell you how I got a hold of it. A bootleg VHS copy. <laughs> wow. Back in, I think, 2000, maybe. <laughs> so when I watched it, yeah, I've, I've seen a more recent copy of it. And I'm like, God damn, what was I? <laughs> like, I had to watch this fucking thing on a goddamn Somebody recorded it off TV onto a tape. Oh, yeah. That's how I got it. And I'm like, what the fuck? So, yeah, it was a, um, it was an extremely controversial documentary back in the day. But uh, as we know, there was another one released not too long ago called Soaked in Bleach by a private investigator. That uh, I'm not even going to go into that because that could take for fucking ever. But uh, that was that was just my introduction to Nick Broomfield. Um was Kurt and Courtney and how controversial it was because people were like, you know, maybe there's more to the story than we know. But um, then I saw, you know, my, my next introduction to him was seeing uh, the documentary that he did for Eileen and um, uh, Life and Death of a Serial Killer, which I thought he shot in a very respectable way. I think he gave an insight, a deep insight into the life that Eileen had to go through and what led her to do what she did. And even after being arrested, how she was just completely taken advantage of. Like I said, that piece of shit fucking lawyer she first had, the fucking TV guy, TV lawyer who just was completely inept. And then by the time she did get a decent... Uh, trial lawyer she had uh, judges that just didn't give two shits so he did a very respectable job in my opinion of showing um Eileen in a light that everybody needed to see as a real person as someone who had gone through a lot of pain and someone who felt like the system just completely failed her because it did i mean even up until the very 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 end um and then uh we get into popular culture as far as books and different shows and things that have been uh out uh, in regards to eileen and the murderers and uh, like we said, we've mentioned Nick Broomfield's documentaries. He actually had two. So there was The Selling of a Serial Killer, which um, mostly just interviewed people in and around Eileen's life. Didn't really have a lot of one-on-ones with Eileen specifically. But the one that was released in 2003, posthumously after she was executed, Eileen, Life and Death of a Serial Killer, is the one that's the most detailed because it's the one that has a lot more one-on-one interviews with Eileen directly. Um, there's also been several TV series that have covered Eileen's case throughout the year, such as American Justice, Biography, Deadly Women, the list goes on. Um, more importantly, though, as we've mentioned, there was the movie that came out in 2003 starring Charlize Theron as Eileen Hornos called Monster. And um, Charlize Theron did go on to win the Academy Award for Best Actress that year for that role. Uh, the movie was directed by directed by Patty Jenkins, as most people know, went on to uh, direct Wonder Woman more recently. And uh, the movie also stars Christina Ricci, who played Selby Wall. And Selby is a fictionalized character based on Tyria. Um, 
And the movie did very well. Uh, it ended up grossing over $60 million on an $8 million budget. And again, uh, had a plethora of award nominations and uh, gave Charlize Theron her um, Academy Award. And, uh, the movie and she, she deserved done. it, too. Man, she deserved that. She really did. The movie was so beautifully done. You know, obviously parts of it were fictionalized, but really the majority of it was real and gave a real vision of who Eileen was and more specifically what was going through her mind at the time of those murders where she just kept seeing every man that had hurt her, that had raped her, that had taken advantage of her in the eyes of every single one of these victims, whether they were wrong or not. Uh, taking anybody's life is wrong. But uh, in her eyes, she thought she was right up until the end. And I think she just got tired of fighting. And um, it also, I think, really gives a real view of how, even though she's referred to as Selby in the movie, how Tyria specifically treated Eileen. I, I think she had these delusions of grandeur and what she thought her life was going to be like with Eileen. She also lived in a very, and this was something else that I'm glad that they portrayed a lot in the movie too, is that, um, you know, Selby had a very sheltered life. Her parents were very religious. Uh, I know in the movie there's this depiction that she's, I guess, living with a family friend or something. But, um, no, she was living with her parents at the time and uh, had a really great relationship with her parents and her sister. But um, she did basically have to hide the fact that she was gay for religious reasons in her family. And uh, she was young and really had never been in a serious relationship at the time that she met Eileen. And I think that Eileen represented something to her that she felt like she wanted in her life. Someone who was brave, someone who didn't give a shit how she talked to people, someone who stand, stood up for herself. I think that was something that Tyria always wanted to do for herself and looked up to Eileen for that. And I think at first the party was fun until it got real about what kind of person Eileen was. And I think that that was the point that Tyria was like, oh, wait, I, I don't, I, I don't want to deal with this. And I, and I think that's where you see that I don't, I, I don't believe she loved her nearly as much as I did. You know, what's really funny too is, uh, in the documentary, her really good friend, Dawn, that was her name, right? Dawn? Yeah, Dawn Bogdan, yeah. When she goes, I just, I don't understand it, you know, it just... It wasn't invented back then. Oh, Jesus And he's like... There was no gay. He's like, and he's like, you like, didn't what? go to school with anybody that was gay. And she's like, no. And he's like, oh, you probably did. You just didn't know about it. And she's like, no, because it wasn't invented yet. And he, and he was like... And then they had a discussion, like, the Greeks invented the gays or something. <laughs> I was like, this conversation is hurting my brain. <laughs> Well, you could just clearly tell that this was coming from someone that had lived in a small town that was that hadn't very been invented yet. Like, and I'm just not like, invented. And my roommate goes, "I'm pretty sure it's been invented since people." So, uh, my dad was in high school in the '60s, and there were gay people in his high school. Obviously, he knew you they were gay. They knew they were gay. Everybody knew they were gay. Nobody really cared. 
(laughs) (laughs) My dad said that's just the way, and I, it's, he's like, they weren't, you know, he said, of course they weren't open about it the way people are now, because obviously, you know, for social acceptance, but he said, oh yeah, you knew they were gay. Other people knew that they were gay. They, they probably knew they were gay. They just didn't say anything, but he's like, Nobody, my dad said, from what I remember, and nobody teased them, nobody was bullied, nobody, he's like, I certainly never did. We were just like, okay, whatever, you know? Okay. We didn't give a shit, you know, like, okay, Uh, Jack, Jack likes dudes, cool. Uh, Good for Jack, moving on. You got the uh, test uh, question, you got the homework for history class, Jack? Like, nobody gave a fuck that Jack was gay. Like, nobody fucking cared. Like, like it was a thing, but just nobody fucking cared. You know? But he was that, probably that like, was, yay, more girls for me. Anyway. That was one of the funniest parts, I know, right? That was one of the funniest parts of the uh, of the documentary. For Oh my god. It's just, it wasn't invented yet. But, obviously none of it was funny or even meant to be funny, but <laughs> that part, I was just like, Bitch, what? <laughs> like the gays. Th- I love how we're always referred to as the, as gays. the gays. The gays have not been invented yet. Like, I just want to walk in somewhere and be like, yes, I am the gays. <laughs> 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 the gays. Like, what? <laughs> Like you're you're and I, I want to go up to someone there and like, well, the gays, and I want to be like, I'm a lesbian. Lesbian and gay are actually gays. different. Look it up. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> like, if you're gonna say a label, get your labels right. Right. LGBTQV. <laughs> Elemental P. <laughs> ABCDEFG. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I know. I thought that was funny too. I was like, I gotta, I gotta bring this up somehow because that cracked me up when she was like, the gays hadn't been invented. And he was like, no, there were gay people in school. And she's like, no, there weren't. And he's like, you just didn't know about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, Why are you yeah, come in I, here and scheme? Or I'm sure you probably did know about it, but. Hazel's, my Hazel, dad, my cat right now is screaming. I don't know. God. <laughs> but that's all I had um, about Eileen. I am just really happy we got to do this podcast tonight. I really wanted to give some respect to her. Um, and I hope we did uh, a really respectful job with this podcast. I hope you guys, I always hate after episode saying i hope you guys enjoyed like i hope you obviously yeah well i mean true crime everybody it was like a a conversation i got into today with somebody who it's like they were like i don't understand why people fantasize about serial killers and i was like i don't think it's more of a fantasize i said i think they're just fascinated and they don't know how to how to place that in their brain (laughs) <laughs> like, when you're fascinated with someone who kills other people, I'm like, it's the psychology behind it, obviously. We're all obsessed with the psychology behind it. We're all obsessed with why. Like, why, what triggers them to do this, you know, and stuff like that. I'm like, but yeah, some people do really fantasize about it. And I'm like, I feel like it's more of a, I don't know how to compartment this into my head because it's crazy. 
to think this way kind of thing. I don't know. I feel like I'm just ranting now. <laughs> well, no, it's it's just one of those things where I think in anything in life, it just depends on how you look at it. Yeah. And I think everybody is going to look at different things on all sides of the spectrum. Right. And I think that even goes back to the earlier discussion that we mentioned about um, the differences between clearly someone who's mentally ill and needs help versus someone who is just out and out, just an evil human being that may have had a great life, friends, family, you know, probably didn't have perfect, you know, but nobody has fucking perfect, but, a, you know, a decent enough life. Right. But just inherently, there is just something deep-rooted and deep-seated in them that is evil, and they just don't give a fuck about anybody but themselves, and uh, that exists in the world. Both of those type of people exist in the world, so... And it's not like mental illness is a cover for that, because I can sit no, here and tell you not. Ted Bundy was mentally ill. He was bipolar, but he was evil. Oh, definitely. Like, that man was a piece of shit. Like I'm, totally I'm not even, shit. I'm not even gonna like sugarcoat him. Like there's, there's no, there is no part of my body that's like, I feel sorry for him. No. Yeah. So you can definitely be diagnosed <clears throat> with a mental illness, but also just be a scummy, horrible, evil person. But then on the flip side of that, yep. you can be diagnosed with a mental illness. Say in the case of Eileen, and yes, commit a horrific crime, but also be a victim of circumstance and definitely by no means evil but more so just very 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 sick and a lot of your actions early on more than likely were probably uh cries for help i think a lot of what eileen did cries for help but instead of people seeing it that way she was just ridiculously persecuted. And a big part of that was the fact that, uh, I, I believe is because she's a woman and because she was a prostitute. So automatically on both of those fronts, you're just, society just, you're counted out. Society immediately counts you out. Some, some bullshit. You always think so, back, like, would she have, what would her life been like had she had a family that gave a shit? You know, that's something we'll, we'll never know. I'm sure that's something she wondered, even. How would have my life have turned out had I had a fucking family? Or anyone, anyone that, that fucking cared. Jesus, like, it was just like her friend Don said, well, I did this for her and I did that. She's like, no, you fucking didn't. You didn't do anything for her. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been living out in the woods. Right. Anyway, I could rant about that shit. (laughs) Right, I know. But I do, I'm really glad that everybody tuned in for the podcast, as always. Um, And like I said, just, you know, anytime we do these episodes, they are heavy, but... um, um, you know, all we can hope for is that we're just giving respect to everybody involved because that's just that's definitely we try to informative and amusing, but also respect. Yes.
All right, guys. So next week, we're starting a new month. We're in May. Fucking finally. I feel like this year has been the longest fucking year of my life. I am now 40. <laughs> right. Um, excuse me, ma'am. Yeah. Sorry, the cat. Um, so next week we will be doing Mothman, and I'm super excited about this because, first of all, Mothman is one of my favorite cryptids, and I know that's probably Becky's favorite cryptid. Oh, for sure. I feel like she feels about Mothman the way I do about Skinwalkers. Um, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I saw that fucking movie, Mothman Prophecies, years ago with Richard Gere, and I went on a deep dive. Because I was extremely unfamiliar with the story, and I, I just, yeah, I, t I took a fucking deep dive. Because it just, it it's like, it. the whole story just preys on all your sensibilities. There's a there's a cryptid, there's, there's conspiracy theories, there's a, there's a, this waste plant, there's men in black, there's a <laughs> tragedy with a bridge collapse, there's, there's just like so much wrapped into this story around this little teeny, 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 tiny town in West Virginia, and, um, I was actually supposed to go there this year, uh, that was postponed, obviously, because of circumstances. But um, next year is definitely on the map. Um, I wasn't going there specifically. I was actually driving. My husband and I had a vacation planned. We just so happened to be driving right through there. So I said, uh, you know, we're stopping. I'm like, let them right. Like, like, we have to. We're driving right through there. We have to fucking stop. So um, it's definitely on the agenda. Maybe not for this year, but definitely for next year. Definitely got to go there. Uh, so, yeah, this is definitely one of, one of my favorites. I am super excited to do this, do this story. I'm excited, too, for you, because I'm, that's how I felt when I did the Skinwalker, when I was like, oh my god, I get to research yeah, my it, favorites. It's a, <laughs> when it's one of your favorites, and then you seem to learn, you, you, you even, you think you know so much about the story already, and then you can learn, but then you have to, like prepare that's the fun thing about these podcasts is like a lot of the stuff that we episodes we've done are things that we were already familiar with but then it's like you learn new stuff yep. along the way that you didn't know when you really start getting into the research guys i'm really excited for our movie series next month too so not gonna tell uh, you yet but same <laughs> really really excited about it they kind of just came to me and i was like this since i <laughs> since i've kind of inadvertently watched half of them already <laughs> i know and she she was really that like was cool though fun. where she was like can we I can fun. do that at the end of the month because there's a lot of oh, them there's so much so and and honestly even though i watched all 11 halloween movies in a week i really don't want to do that with these because I don't, no. I don't want to. I just, no. <laughs> I uh, don't. <laughs> like, one right after the other. Mm -mm. Uh, I'm good. I just, I'll probably watch, like, one every two days for the next month. <laughs> just, except for the the first few, because those are pretty solid, but. Yeah, um, I watched, I watched three and four, and I was like. Mm. I like three. <laughs> I like three a lot, actually. Oh, no, 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 but I'm saying, like, to. To, I had to stop. Yeah, you can't, you can't, this I is one like, that's oh, not no. easy to binge. You can't just yeah. sit and watch no. all of them in a sitting. Hell no. 
<laughs> and everyone's probably like, oh, I know. And I'm like, yeah, you probably oh, do. Oh, no, now. <laughs> well, we're still not going to say Still not going to say Um... So, guys, now we're on to our sponsor, a word from our sponsor. Calm your buddy down. Ding. Also, I'd first like to say that my birthday was on Monday. I got two bath bombs from uh, Miss Becky here, and um, I have not used the lemonade one yet, but I can smell it through the package, and that makes me excited because it smells really good. Um, but I used the honey oat one. On Monday, and that shit, ooh. I posted an Instagram story and made it a highlight because I was so in love with my Instagram story. But I got out of that bath, and my skin was so soft. I would just like to say, I would just like to say. And thank you You're for the welcome. post. Of course. I very much appreciate it. And I'm going to do uh, it for the lemonade one, too. <laughs> so. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The lemonade ones are brand new, guys. So proud of them. So happy and excited. Also, the new... Uh, lavender body scrub. Um, this is something that just, I've been playing around with the idea of doing a body scrub for a while. Um, really excited about doing one with all natural, real lavender. Lavender is something that I am a huge, huge fan of. Same. Um, it just for peace, for sleep, for de-stressing everything all the way around. So, um, as always, guys, the bath bombs, everything is available on Etsy, uh, free shipping. Um, and then right now, again, until further notice, until things just kind of start to smooth out, um, the DFWTO code is still in effect for 50% off everything, including all the new items on the Etsy page. And uh, again, guys, I appreciate all of the uh, love and support. Thank you. Calm your body down. <laughs> Alright guys, so if you want to give us a follow on any social media, we have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I don't fuck with the original. Make sure to spell it to a T, otherwise you will not find it. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, want to say hey, email us at dfwto8493 at gmail.com. Also, if you want to give us a follow, give us a follow on Podbean, because guys, we are 97 followers away from 2000. That's insane. That's in, I don't even, and I just had uh, someone reach out to me on Twitter that just started listening. She's starting from the very beginning. Um, Ugh, and she just started listening and she goes, what pulled me in was listening to how heartbroken you were over the new child's play. Um, she was like, you, she's like, in your voice, I could hear it. She's like, you're, you just sounded so heartbroken. I said, wait until you listen to the episode. I said, because you'll find out everything. You'll find out why you'll find out this and that and everything. Cause I got to the point where when people were asking me about it, I was like, just listen to the episode. Cause I can't, <laughs> I'm like, I can't explain this anymore. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No, no, you have to know. Cause there's. There's legitimate reasons why, like, you know, that, that there's, there's definitely legitimate reasons why that's why, yeah, when we, that's why I'm so glad we were able to do a really detailed podcast episode about that, because I know there was so much hype around when that movie first came out. And when P 
people kept hearing about like, oh, well, why don't you like it? Or why don't you want to see it? And it's like, oh, God, like, I, I just, I really, like, how much time do you have? You right, know? like, I could like, sit here and tell you all of the reasons, but it's going to take me about an hour or so. So do you really want to, do you really want to hear it? That's so awesome that that's. That that's what her. pulled her in. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> and I love listening in. to your progression because she's like, it's just, it gets better and better every episode. I said, yeah, we started getting the hang of it <laughs> after the first few episodes. Hey, anything that you're new to, it, it takes time. <laughs> and we're still learning. We're still, we're still learning. And it takes time. It is a, every, life is a work in progress. But my God, to have almost 2,000 followers in a year and a month, like I just, two, three months, I can't. I'm telling you, this this year has been one month, <laughs> and yet felt so much longer. <laughs> but um, yeah, we have we're 97 followers away, guys. So tell your friends, go give us a follow on Podbean, um, and of course we're also on Spotify, which I don't know how many followers we have on that because I can't see it. But um, we are on Podcast Player, Podcast Addicts, and Castbox as well. So. Give us a follow. Give us a sub. You'll know when we post new episodes every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. Yeah, we went through a period of, what, two weeks where we didn't? I didn't like that. Uh, no. <laughs> that will not be, that will never be a regular part of the agenda unless something, unless we have some full-on. You know, a pandemic. Right, <laughs> like a pandemic or whatever. But yeah, no. however, whatever. Well, we didn't we didn't know how well it would work remotely, and honestly, this is this has worked. It's worked. So, all right, guys. Well, have a great week, and we will see you next week for some Mothman. Watch the Mothman prophecies. Go oh, watch some watch documentaries. It. Go watch some crazy shit. There's some really good Mothman documentaries on Prime. I am telling you oh, right now. I've watched yes. some of them, and I love them. Prime wins. Get also Prime go on YouTube and listen for all to the crazy documentaries. <laughs> what's that guy's name? B Busta. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, there's another guy. I can't think of his name right now. But um, go on YouTube and listen to stories that people have submitted. Oh, I love of, that guy. Of, oh my god, I love him. His his Skinwalker stories give me fucking chills. Anyway, but we'll see you guys next week. Okay, have a great week. Bye.